So we're back from the Esalen Institute of the Big Sur of California and thought we could use it as an opportunity for a Radhakrishna roundtable. I'll try to get this out in a timely manner. And it also to kind of use it as an opportunity coming out of COVID and having that kind of gathering of various people in mind to look at the state of the state of the psychedelic landscape and emergence and sort of where the edges are with that and so forth. And so on. And so it is. So that being said, um, let's just start with what were some things that you thought were like overarching themes if you were to connect the dots from the different people you met, who was speaking, your own experience, what they're trying to make, and how that aligns with where this is all going. <clears throat> Ask you know? me like five more questions to answer one in one go, and then I'll start. <laughs> that's, that's too many. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll, overarching themes. Yeah, like kind of takeaways. Yeah, yeah. I certainly felt like a theme was diversity, inclusivity, the weaving of uh, ancient traditions and modern science, giving indigenous voices a seat at the table and really, really honoring and uplifting their, their place in the role of psychedelics. And, um, so that was awesome to see. I, I would think, I mean, besides the time, times that I've experienced ceremony with indigenous leaders, I haven't, think, I don't think I've been at a talk that included indigenous elders. I was thinking back on this. Oh, I just want to note it was called the Enthea Wheel. Yes. Uh, and Dream put that together. There was a, what was the longer name? Enthea Wheel. The Ceremony and Science of Psilocybin. Psilocybin. So it was around mushrooms. And uh, in theory, uh, she's going to put on uh, seven more of these. There's eight aspects to the wheel, and each one is a different medicine. So I was thinking back on this, and I was remembering the Eclipse Festival. Oh, yeah. And they had that huge, well, they had a whole village, let's call it, on the other side of the lake that was in indigenous in their space. And then during the actual... Well, Symbiosis, to their credit, which put on the Eclipse Festival, they've always had an indigenous camp. Always. Mm. At all of their events that I've been, when they used to be in California, they always had that there. They always started with land blessings. They had altars everywhere. And they were a festival that I would go to that put the most intentionality I would see into including the indigenous voices. Right, and if I remember correctly, it was with some local indigenous tribes being represented, but also a lot of global stuff because the yeah, global. actual eclipse uh, ceremony thing, I remember it being almost entirely uh, various indigenous voices doing ceremonial, ritualistic yeah, in the songs center. and acts. That mm -hmm. was the, mostly all of it. Yeah, right? it was. It's like an hour of, yep. uh, yeah. Of prayer and ceremony and calling in and... Yeah, and so I thought back to that, and I thought, like, in some ways, uh, a few years back, in some ways, the uh, festival consciousness, festival space, was one of the f first places that was getting the heat for, like, uh, people, you know, wearing headdresses and be like, yo, this is not okay, and this is becoming a part of the culture, and it was sort of, on some 
as far as I know, some festivals, you know, it was addressed like a Burning Man. It was like, hey, this is not okay. Yeah, it was. It We're going to draw some lines it here. It became a costume. I actually saw that when I was at Bonnaroo teaching in 2018. There was a young Caucasian girl, early 20s, wearing like a full, the full chief headdress. And I right. literally inside was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, now it feels oh. unf- it feels even like w- extremely wow. unthinkable. And not that I, I never thought of this, but my point is. Uh, I was thinking back to 2012 and uh-huh. connecting a dot to how now in the psychedelic movement, as we came through uh, racial justice, social justice movements that emerged uh, during the pandemic and how that's intersecting with this idea of access. And so for, I agree that what we are seeing at this conference, uh, this the idea of how does the psychedelic revolution and especially the medical and scientific angle of it and the therapeutic angle become available to all. And that's not just a question of uh, how do you make it affordable, but also how do you uh, bring it and have it be spoken through groups and communities in their language from them mm-hmm. as opposed to like just it's being offered. And I don't, think there is a, a, a clear answer to that right now, but I felt like that is the leading edge of where things are at in the movement. Besides, cause the and we out- talked about that a lot through the weekend, I felt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know. Anything that you feel like we could translate for people who weren't there? Well, let's see. I would say, I mean, there's two sides to this coin. One is that a lot of the plant medicines, including psilocybin, have histories in indigenous cultures of the Americas, as they're now called. And like Paul Stamets pointed out, psilocybin mushrooms, there's 117, I think he said, different strains, and they're found actually all over the globe. Everywhere. They're found everywhere on every continent. And so... It's not, psilocybin in particular isn't limited to just a plant medicine of the Americas. So it's we, it's a both and, right? And then there's even the book, The Immortality Key, that links these types of, I think he's talking more about Aragot, but just like even in the birth of Christianity, which we often think of as a Caucasian religion or European religion in a way, has its roots in psychedelics. And so this part that wants to maybe say, well, it's mine, there's, it's really, in some ways, all of ours, all of ours. And at the same time, if we're doing it in a way that does include ceremony for you and I, as Americans and modern culture, we don't have our own roots of ceremony. And so then we often are borrowing from the indigenous cultures around us and from the place in which we now reside. So it is a blending. And, and um, Erica, who was a leader, an elder that was there, she said there's a difference between appropriation and appreciation. And that's the distinction, I think. And it's you can I feel like you can use elements of what might be seen or felt as an indigenous ceremony if you are honoring its roots and doing it from a place of appreciation for the technology that it is. You're not claiming like this is me 
in my channel and what I do and I'm owning it. It's like more like this is something I am, I am borrowing and utilizing. Yeah. And a recognition that whatever psychedelic renaissance we are in, it cannot not stand on the shoulders of that which preceded it, which well, well beyond the 60s, you know, into thousands of years of various cultures uh, working with these medicines, then there, there is a through line, you know, just mm. even from Wasson, when we're talking about psilocybin in itself, of yeah. going down to Mexico and then translating that through Life magazine yeah. to the West. And even, I think, you know, people like Terrence McKenna, there's a line. And so it's an acknowledgement when they say, we'd like to be involved in this conversation and be invited into the conversation. Uh, it's to say that, uh, I guess that would be a form of appreciation, but also one of, of listening and trying to say, I, I don't know, we don't know everything. I mean, this is, there's a lot going on and yes, it's that's the spear tip they're at, that all this, mm -hmm. all this stuff is emerging in this space of commerce and psychedelics at the same time, mm -hmm. more so than before. And how does that relate? How do we uh, how do we have this conversation? And I, I think that's what's emerging. And in it, I could sense, as there is uh, in this movement outside of psychedelics, there was some there's hurt, and and there's there's Definitely. there's anger, and there's and there's sort of a finger wagging about like you know don't don't you know it's sort of like inherently has these problems built into it and. One thing that's interesting about the psychedelic energy that's happening now is for most people, uh, this is another conversation we have with someone else there, It their heart's in the right place. Like they've usually had some kind of heart opening or ex really expanding consciousness experience. And they really do want to like expand that into the world and to others. And then, and at the same time, it gets m murky into, but we can make, we can start a business and actually also potentially make a lot of money at this. And that is a, that is a slippery situation. It absolutely is. But I, also, I don't feel like it's an either or for, for people. Like I really feel like they're swimming in waters where they, they well, get lost and found. Well, in some ways, if someone wants to, like you're saying, they have an awakening and they feel oneness and love and they want to spread that, why then does that have to separate from them then moving forward with that mission and bringing it out into the world? though it might become then commodified. You can, at least you would want those who are commodifying it to do it with integrity and from their own felt experience. So that's holding the values and mission of what they're really hoping to do versus I'm going to cash in on this. And that is another fear that I heard in certain circles. Of, of what? That it, the integrity can become lost and that uh, money becomes the play or big tech coming into it's about harvesting data it's surely a seduction right when lots of money comes into the field yeah. it's very tempting and so maybe i don't have a solution for that but i agree with you that they aren't it doesn't make sense to be in an either or space well you look at the ayahuasca landscape and how that rose up in the last let's say 10 years and I don't, I kind of see it as sort of the human story. Then what would you rather have? That we didn't have the ayahuasca revolution where all these people are traveling down to the Amazon to experience ayahuasca. And then in turn, there are bad actors at play 
where there are charlatans, there's sexual assault at times. This is the minority, I would assume. And there's this sort of extractive energy of the Westerners going down and screwing up cultures and all the money that's involved. But on the other hand, if that didn't happen, there's also a lot of genuine work going on, really difficult uh, transformation and psycho-spiritual work going on by people. It kind of is like, once we get into the weeds and we really start tilling the soil, there's worms in there, but there's also a lot of nutrients. Well, everyone comes at it from their level of psychic maturity, right? And just because you're an adult, like in Bill Plotkin's work, doesn't mean you're actually an adult. And so there are some folks that are quite powerful and of age and internally they still have a lot of work to do and a lot of shadow. And so how you show up in the world, I think is the main indicator, really. And yeah, when you get into it, it's going to be all across the spectrum from those that are, for lack of a better term, really pure to those that aren't. And we're all, we're all, we all have our faults and we all have our shadow sides and the things that we might, that might be more inflated in our egos or more shadow or less known. And so, yeah, it's the cutting edge where you're dealing with like heart, soul, consciousness, the past, the future, and it's through the vehicle of an individual's life that's <laughs> so varied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the the point I was trying to make is that it's sort of an, an inevitable process that it is messy. Yeah. You know, revolution and unveiling is going to, I kind of feel like when every time someone says any of these ideas, I'm kind of like, yes, and it's going to be, probably that'll be part of it too. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I, I'm kind of like keeping a sharpness of an eye trying to look at all of that, but I'm I'm not trying to get too concerned that like w- one of these areas is maybe going to take over the movement, you know, mm. an analogy might be like with cannabis, um, you know, there's this thought that like, well, Philip Morris or whatever the McDonald's of weed will be, will just dominate, take over. And, and that will be like, that would be our whole for food source. But nonetheless, we still have all sorts of smaller growers and some people, just like some people prefer organic foods, some people prefer to shop at uh, Safeway, you know, Mm -hmm. and for different reasons. And uh, I think it's going to just be be a lot of things out there and not all of them are going to be good. And that's why I'm really interested in the tools and the information that we can provide for people because it's going to be happening. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of the spiritual evolution, revolution of the 60s, 70s, 80s, of all of the influx and flood of teachers and guides and gurus and sadhus and saints from India into America or into Western Europe, right? And those also individuals had varying levels of intention, and varying levels right. of integrity with how they were able to deal with a huge increase in power and where that abuse of power came to lie or not. And though some of those Indian spiritual teachers, like Osho, for example, Bhagwan yeah. Sri Rajneesh, his teachings are amazing. His books are like constantly referenced in in the yogic fields they're like super deep transmissions and then as a human 
he had many foliables. Foliables? <laughs> Foibles. Foibles. Why, why does he need 25 Rolls Royces? Right. Know, if, and so, so that's the dichotomy, right? And so the same thing is kind of, it can and is happening in the psychedelic world. It's no different because we are human and we can at the same time hold a deep connection to wisdom and the divine. Yeah. That, and truth. That's the essence of what makes it so strange and beautiful and weird to be a human being. You're an animal yes. and you can have agape consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of watch it and hold it with that same similar mindset of the teachers and the saints and the sadhus from the Indian tradition. And some did a better job than others at navigating. Because if you think of it, it's a clash of cultures there too, where they were coming out of their culture in India and then merging with the West. And I'm sure they're they're, they're just, it creates a new blend and we don't know how to do that. We're doing it as we do it. And something so mysterious as uh, psychedelics and plant medicines. I mean, this, we were specifically talking about psilocybin magic mushrooms at this conference. And you've got people on one hand who really see it almost with religious fervor of like the mindset, the consciousness of the mycelial entity speaking to us and through us. I'm not saying this with any judgment. I'm just, you know, there's that energy. And then there's more of the medical model of like, well, this is a chemical and now we're going to be able to use it and let's find out what kind of reactions it does with our body and our brain that might be useful to us creatively or physically or emotionally. Um, and there was also at this event kind of a weaving of these ideas. Yeah. And I know people are in different camps of comfort level with that. Like they may or may not identify with the mushrooms as an entity that is like helping the planet uh, in this sort of conscious embodied way. Until they take them. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Until you're like totally humbled and floored. Yeah. And like, like I bow down to whatever <laughs> this is. I am not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until you take them. And they also said at this event, Many times we will not be taking medicine, not like, please don't like it is not happening. And uh, there was a journey night and it was called simulated journey, which involved breath work. And part of, and you and I, I think we're both thinking like, I mean, that's a journey. It's not really simulated. You're doing breath work. You're going to. But they didn't actually do breath work that night. They did it the next night. Okay. I thought, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless, it seemed like there was sort of, um, I understand the level of caution, you know, it's like. But when, I think you were getting at like breath works really intense or it can be. Or well, really and that a journey isn't always just about imbibing uh, psychedelic. Um, well, I think their main point was, no, we're not going to dose you all with mushrooms. No, you know, and also you're in California. It's like a lot of people travel with their own uh, medicine pouch and do what they do, whether they're there or not. And it's sort of like this idea of freedom of consciousness is really what it's all about anyway. And they're not the the ones saying we're condoning it or breaking any laws, but it's also sort of strange then to be pointing a finger at people and saying, we're going to remind you and you're not going to do that. And you're not, it's like, what was? it's not their responsibility. It's not the host's responsibility to say that? It is their responsibility to define the space, absolutely, and like what they're able to hold and like the expectations of that space. But I just thought it was interesting that there was 
sort of a, not just like a line saying like, this is ours and that's yours. It sort of went over into being actively saying no. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I, 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 I don't think within me it brings up the same thing within you. Where I hearing maybe more resistance against that. I see it as like you just got to cover your ass. You got to oh, say the it. thing. It's it. like the waiver, you know. Don't sue me, please. Everybody no, sign the waiver. I get it. I, maybe it was the term simulated journey. I was just trying to wrap my head around that. Um, and it felt like a kind of distancing. And I was Because like, it said simulated. Yeah. It's like, it's not, uns- there's nothing wrong with, you know. I think, again, it was trying to have the clarity of point of like, hey, guys, what we're going to do tonight isn't take mushrooms. This right. isn't going to be a mushroom journey. Well, you know, that's true. Maybe but we people... can maybe simulate it the best to the best yeah. of our ability. And so Chiel, who was helping to guide that night, she kind of walked us through the ceremony practices of her tradition, what they would be doing if they were imbibing. Mm-hmm. We would be doing this now and then now this, though we weren't. And it was cool to say we can work with the medicine without putting it in our body. You can invite that energy in. Yeah. And that's absolutely, I find that to be and 100% she true. she did that. So Chiel, during the, that process, and I had a really deep, awesome, amazing connection with the mushrooms through her guided meditation, totally sober, that I wasn't anticipating at all. You want to share about that? or? Yeah, I mean, she essentially it was like, a guided meditation, like go inside, you see a cave, you enter the cave, you see a light, you go to the light, and the light is uh, entity. And what does that say or speaker reveal to you? And I had a vision of mushrooms, almost like a tall, skinny of mushroom, I guess like a psilocybin mushroom, because it had a long stem, little, and it felt masculine energy. And it started saying, kind of like singing or chanting, you are one, you are one of us. And I loved the distinction of you are one because it meant my interpretation was one, like oneness, like you're everything. And you're also very unique and special, like you're a one, like you're, you're you, And isn't that beautiful? And you are you and your way. And you're also included. It's not that you're separate. You're part of this family. You're part of this community. You're part of this collective. We're in this together. So it was like a paradox of like, you're unique and you're unified. And it also had this like energy of like the mother, like mother to child, where a mother holding its infant in its arms is like gazing down at it and it's the most special thing in the whole entire world. Like there's nothing more important than this little baby. Every every child wants to feel that. I know I did. And then in that, you're part of a family. And so it was just beautiful. For me, it was really yeah. healing to feel that, feeling seen in that way and feeling welcomed in that way. Yeah. It makes, it reminds me of the last solo cast I did because I was talking about the song Can't Fall Out of Love. Mm. And it was, if you just kind of think about it through the lens of how people come out of people who come out of people, it's the only way. Every human being has come out of a mother. However you want to look at it, that is true. We all come out of the feminine, the great mother. And as above, so below, 
if we just want to take that model of thinking, we, all of this has come out of the great mother. And I had during that journey, that feeling of that is essentially, that is what that you can't fall out of love is, is mm-hmm. the great mother, that there's no way not to be, have come out of the thing. You are inside the source. Mm-hmm. And there's that energy of like always always right at the last minute, perhaps in in the way that's perfect for you to hold your hand, to, to grab, grab you out and, and mm. say, it's just enough. Yeah. And uh, that's a feeling I've had on different psychedelics in different ways. And it's not always so black and white. I mean, it is and it isn't, but it's not just as obvious. Like it's always that way because there's always the very strong other energy of chaos, destruction, yeah. death, suffering. But it's like, and if sometimes if there's any kind of barrier or boundary, if you do fall through it, through a kind of death or letting go, I've often found on the other side is another layer of that plenum of existence, of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. It does show up in different ways. I've had it show up as like a f- like friends, you know, in different psychedelic journeys, like just streams of friends who come through my consciousness where it's like, I there's always somebody who's going to be there for me period. And whether that's a somebody, it always is a somebody. It always manifests in material form somehow. And knowing that in my bones and my soul and my heart, wow, does that give me comfort and gratitude and the desire to be that for others. I want to be there for others. It's the, uh, the super varied infinite ways the manifestations of god mm-hmm. right of maharaji and drag <laughs> of of the mushroom however you, all of them as forms of manifestations anything from a butterfly that passes by uh, to a song that speaks to you in a moment it's like it's all the whispers the whispers of the one uh, and i would say also the misery and the suffering and that's why sometimes when we find ourselves in those places it's usually not why you're in it, but there's sometimes can be a recollection of s- still seeing through the hard times uh, the purpose and the divinity, even in that. And that's hard for me to grok and hard for or hard for me to hold sometimes because it ain't fun, you know. <laughs> it's not fun, but when you're in those spaces. You, I, I at least am able to see the full spectrum. So it's those moments that might feel hard or even like gross or disgusting is on the continuous plane of what's also beautiful and blissful and illuminous. There's no separation. And getting back even to like the analogy of the mother, when a mother has a child <laughs> through raising it, you know, they're giving them their breast milk, but they're also being shit on and changing diapers and being vomited on they're and primates. cried on you're, you're and yeah. laughed with. <laughs> and then, but the mother doesn't not love any of it. Like everything that the baby is doing is perfectly fine and acceptable. Do you know what I mean? So even like in the spectrum where we, then as we adults and separate out, those things become gross or undesirable to the mother it's all neutral it's well, all the same. how does that play it for you in non-child things you know because when we, when we come back and have transitions into kids and stuff sometimes it's a rough landing and especially with Esselin, we're not too used to traveling and 
touring and any of this, like a lot of us, we haven't been doing any of this. And so it feels harder and like a bigger trip in some ways as it should. And you're at a place that's full of the ocean and expansiveness and the hot water and these interesting ideas. And then you come back into... Yeah. And so I think you're speaking to the transition of how like when we get back sometimes we were just in like bliss and now we're in daily life and maybe I'm grumpy or maybe I'm processing or maybe I'm not, I'm not feeling as open as I was just the day before. And so for myself, when that's occurring, when I'm, when I'm going through a a state that feels less than elevated, I've witnessed myself in it, but I know it's not who I am. It's just something that's coming up or I'm processing through. There's a density or having a heaviness and I don't identify with it as myself or because you can't always pinpoint the reason why either. And so I try not to really get stuck on psychoanalyzing myself of why is this coming up? It's just, oh, this is, I'm feeling off kilter right now. I'm feeling out of alignment. And part of my journey is to allow myself to feel that way while to the degree that I can actively work to come back into realignment and inflict as little damage as possible on those around me while I'm in that state. <laughs> me? <laughs> and sometimes I'm better at it than others. But sure. I, it's not, I don't, yeah, so I guess I'm, hold, I'm saying that I hold it with acceptance. Mm. Just like a mother would accept, like, I got to change a diaper right now. Well, what if it's the other person uh, that feels like it's having you, <laughs> can you accept that? And can I accept another? It, with when, that lens of the yeah, motherly, like, like it's both Sure, at the sure. Same time. Like, you know, for in our relationship together, me and you, there are definitely moments when I feel from you like a heaviness or a prickliness mm-hmm. or like, a, ooh, ouchie. Like I get ouches from you. And my, let's say my feelings get hurt or whatever, my love for you doesn't go away. And I know that that's not your true truth, your essence. It's just something within you is out of alignment. Does it go away for the, the moment <laughs> <laughs> and then come back? Or is it really like in that moment, you're still like, I love this guy. I can hold both. Really? I hold both. Amazing. I hold both. All yeah, right. of course. And I, I've grown in my capacity to be able to do that as I mature. And I think, you know, on a meta level too, it's as my own ability to have self-love increases and less judgment of myself or for even when I'm in those states, so also in equal proportion does my love and compassion for others also grow. It's they, They're same, same, they're equal. I find. Mm-hmm. And so does it feel good? No, it doesn't feel good, but that's okay. It's somehow also God. That I know to be true. Yeah. Even though I'm going to say, label it as not feeling good. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's a judgment I've placed on it. It's really just a feeling mm-hmm. or a sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we took a uh, we we personally i don't think work with psilocybin all that much in our lives because well for myself i only work with it in ceremonial fashion meaning like i don't use it to 
go do things externally in the world or enhance other experiences. I try to, it just takes me inside. And furthermore, the more I've worked with it all these over a decade uh, with other people and myself in that ceremonial space, even if I microdose with it, uh, I, it just enlivens that feeling in me of that inner journey. It's really powerful. And uh, we decided to work with it after a, been a long time. Uh, a couple of years. To uh, yeah, I think the last time was I wanted to uh, yeah, witness the music for mushrooms album as part of that process. You know, I needed I needed to experience it that way. Mm-hmm. And this time uh, it was your idea as to kind of prepare for this weekend in California. But I, for myself, I had the double. Ne- I needed to and I wanted to work with a new record I'm working on. It's essentially music for mushrooms volume two, coming out later this year. And so I, I had sort of a final mix. I was like, I really want to do exactly what I did before. Yeah, what we did in Hawaii when we listened to Music for Mushrooms together and journeyed as a way to welcome and invite in that record and release. Yeah, and what I did 13 years ago with my very first release of having a sort of an honoring and a celebration of the, of the inspiration, mm-hmm. which was larger from the psilocybin space yeah. itself. So having the album in coincided with this weekend coming up and I wanted to get in touch with the wisdom and energy consciousness of the mushrooms to be better prepared for it. So we journeyed together a couple weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was it was really beautiful um, for myself. Uh, at first, it was sort of this, it did feel kind of celebratory of me witnessing the music and the medicine allowing me to step back and sort of see it and experience it in a different way. And that was just really a powerful and amazing experience. But as I got towards the end of it, as things do, and as real medicine and real work does, it ended up digging really, really deep for me psychologically and exercising some grief I had inside and had a real cathartic, good cry. Yeah, sobby, kind of sobby, sobby face. Something deep had to come out there. Oof, you, um, Right you. at the end, too. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And mm-hmm. I, I was saying to you, it was crazy because at the end, uh, the album has it's is I, I talk an outro, so it's sort of like closing the ceremony, and it was me talking to myself is what was tripping me out so much. So it really felt like a different part of me talking to the part of me that was hurt and sad, mm. and that was just like you intense. Were, yeah, you were cracked wide open with grief. Do you want to share what that was about? Well, some of it's so personal it almost wouldn't make sense with that like long, long backstory, but. I guess it had a lot to do with my, it was my deep, deep, deep gratitude for uh, everyone and that has essentially been part of my journey and how important and powerful and grateful I am for the roles they played. And that's anything from like my former manager to you, <laughs> to my former wife, to my parents, to certain friends, to Lewis to people who I'm working with now, like directly on my team. I'm like all these different people and like this really heartfelt, like, wow. Like, you know, pick any 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 role someone played, some very small and some like yourself, very large and recognizing how important it is and how, it would, how, nece- how needed it was for me to do whatever it was I was doing and to get to the next place, the next thing. And- mm. In that gratitude was also so much grief because I was I had a lot of shame that I think I needed to exercise about how I had 
kind of sullied some of those or not fully embodied or expressed my appreciation or even known it in some ways and sort of seeing it. And that didn't feel good because it was almost too big, right? It was too much to hold and, and realize and witness. And to have it come through at this moment where it was kind of a part of me literally telling it to myself through the speakers um, almost made it more strange and amazing at the same time because it was just sort of like there's all those way all the all these ways that messages could come to you but then it's like yourself telling it and that's what happened 13 years ago at that first record it was that first album it was me essentially speaking to myself helping me have these realizations and really physically transform into something through a process internally and energetically and this felt like another kind of like that like a physical exorcism of something to help me just go forward. And if you were to say like the new doorway that you've walked through because of that, who is this new person? I don't know. It's hard to put labels on these things. Who, uh, how would you want this person to be? Uh, re releasing shame and embodying that gratitude, you know? Um, because I have, I have shame about it and that's kind of what was holding me, that's what holding me back. Yeah. I think I remember you speaking to that where it was like, I'm keeping myself from fully accepting myself mm -hmm. and who I am right now. I'm, I'm holding yeah, myself no back. Yeah. No one else is. It's, it's my own internal limiters and those are forms of guilt, shame, disbelief, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess within the context of what we've been talking about is even like the pain and the difficulties are all God knowing that does it make it does make does it make the shame a little less yeah because then we put on we were processing for a while and then I put on uh, the dark thoughts song and love everybody some Ram Dass music from the album and then it hit me another level deeper because it's like it's not that I'm trying to get rid of those feelings or that I have shame that I have those feelings or even shame that there's a recognition that I'm not where quote I want to be internally mm -hmm. and that I have more kind of healing that has to happen on a timeline I can't necessarily rush or want to it's like a plant growing and it was the recognition it's like th that is what I'm loving and that's so okay and you can mm -hmm. embody kind of the thing you think you're not at the same time yes and that becomes the mystery itself it's like it's both and that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And that's where people are, as opposed to me thinking like, I want to be somewhere and I'm holding myself back. I'm not there yet. Yeah, you could flip it and you could say you already are there. And I'm loving this healing process at the same time. Yeah. Which is a real trip. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it gets again to what we were talking about earlier of just human nature right and the teachers and the gurus and the guides and the leaders you know and that they have this beautiful intention and vision and all of them have an interior space or spaces where they don't where they it's 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 not what they would maybe call their best self <laughs> yeah. but it's part of their self and that's that's again it it's just love even that part of yourself and it's the, it's really, I guess it comes back to your integrity and your intention because we all slip up and have these errors. It's just like, where are you coming from? Where's the source of this emanation of your intention? And, 
And, and you know, we're all inherently going to have blind spots. And they are, that's why they're called blind spots. Yeah, well, but, Earth is a school. We're all actually <laughs> students who are learning and we don't know. And we're posturing like we do know. But we know a little bit. I don't know. I'll put my <laughs> hand up. And then it uh, changes. Yeah, <laughs> me either. You know me, I love to not know in many ways. But that's that's the paradox too. And we forget like we're we forget that we're students, we forget that we're learning, and then we shame ourselves for making mistakes or Well, hubris and righteousness are probably the shackles that keep us from really breaking through. Because you have to let these things go to say, like, I know the right way or I've really got this. Or it's like it's a difference between I've like, heard this before. Difference between standing in your power and having beginner's mind. You can kind of mm-hmm. have both at the same time. But when you get into this hubristic hubristic state of you know, knowing with a little K, but really with an exclamation point behind it, like, <laughs> good luck with that. You know, there's a lot of that going around this planet. Uh, but knowing with a capital K is one that always comes with uh, humbleness. Yeah. And then, too, on the same side, like going into a plant medicine journey, you there's a lot of, of ourselves that we consciously keep ourselves from recognizing. There's parts of ourself that we maintain and strive to keep unconscious because they're, in some ways, we feel too painful to witness and feel. And so to go into a journey or an exercise or an experience with like, I want to have revealed to me some things that I don't know about myself or some things that are hard to integrate, that takes a lot of humility and courage. Yes, and probably helpful to have some kind of structure and assistance. This comes into sort of the trauma work that you're exploring doing more of and doing in the ketamine therapy. Yeah. Because a lot of that is connected to traumas where let's honor the body and the mind for doing what it's trying to do, which is to protect you by repressing these things. And so it's not doing that to be a piece of shit. It's doing it because like it thinks it needs to. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into this stuff and it's, it's enlivening old traumas, uh, uh, you can, you can do meaningful work to, uh, I don't think release is the right word, but uh, integrate, integrate, and 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 give bring light to and diffuse. So it's not it's not something that you're that's being repressed and then manifesting in probably negative forms through through your body, your actions, your mind, and your life. Yes. Uh, and so I, you absolutely can do that. And in many ways, at this at this conference, the Enthio Wheel. Perhaps that's what it's really all about. And there's infinite traumas in this web of our history. We all have them. And it's all an exploration of how can we work through this so we can basically survive as a species. And this is one powerful tool we have in our toolkit among many. But this is a big one as far as people working with their own problems and issues and traumas from their own past in a more accelerated path so that we can then be of service and be connected, be more giving mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Part of that conversation, you know, it's, it's, it's very diverse, you know, how it would work with me and you to how it work with it, someone who has an indigenous, indigenous lineage to someone who's in the inner city, to someone who has no money, to someone who's never even heard about this stuff. Well, you I know? also think it can be worked with to your points and different ways 
would like a lot of people that were there were like, I've done mushrooms, but I've never done it in a ceremonial way. I hear that all the time. Therefore, then you typically maybe have this kind of experience, right? And so then when you're using, it's like driving like, I don't know, a Toyota Camry, and then you get into a Tesla and it's got like all this other technology built into it that's you can now access within your own self and psyche and soul when you set up the experience in a different way. Does that make sense? Like the ceremony becomes like the Tesla. That's an interesting analogy <laughs> of all the cars. I'm a car guy and it's like, well, you pick the one that's like the, the most like technological and breaking through like the barriers of the auto industry. But that's just me overthinking it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's something Corolla's that... is a very reliable car, though. I mean, that's another way you could look at it. It's like, it's well, very Well, you can choice. do it. It'll, it'll, it'll get you from here to there. But there's, you know, or like when you play a video game, you can play a video game to get from start to finish, or you can play a video game and how many experiences did you have along the way and stuff that you brought in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see you saying the ceremony as a technology in a sense that can be used as a kind of tool as mm -hmm. opposed to not having it, not using it. And though conversely, when I was having my experience with you at the same time, one of the messages I was getting, and this isn't like a definitive statement, but it was what was true in the moment, was going into the ceremony, we can often have like the egoic part of the self that's like, well, I'm going to accomplish this or I'm going to go into this space or I'm going to use these breath tools or mindfulness tools or mantra meditation tools in conjunction with the mushrooms so that I can unlock deeper states of self through a marriage of my own will and intention and the mushrooms and what's possible, right? And then I started the journey and I was like, I just want to lie here and be a puddle. I can barely sit up and I'm surrendering myself to the mushrooms and wherever they're going to take me. Forget about what I thought I was going to do while I was on them. Yeah. Yeah. You had some intense purging too, which mm -hmm. uh, there's one song in the album that <laughs> well, it's right now, was called, is called, I don't know, the album's not finished, Slip Slope. Because I always thought it had this energy of a slippery slope, like things starting to fall off the rails. Not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I was relating to you that there's an energy in the psilocybin space as you're moving upward in it where it's sort of carnival-esque carnival and language and things are starting to break apart and it's kind of a little chaotic and nutty. And I always there's a phrase, octopus spaghetti pants, that keeps coming up in my head in that moment because it's it's a way of language even being absurd. And it's a representation of that space for me. Like, oh boy, here, the octopus spaghetti pants land is blah, 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 And uh, so we're debating calling that song Octopus Spaghetti Pants, but I thought it might be a bridge too far. I vote in favor. But during that song, the song came up and... Uh, the spirit was a speaking through you, through the belly. Yeah, and I had a purge. I, I had a release then. It just, it's like a huge wave that overtakes you. Again, that's, I think in that moment is when I really surrendered to just like, you, even after that physiologically, your body wants to like curl into a ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the, 
I don't know, this is my internal struggle of like fully surrendering into the direction, like curling into the ball and collapsing. And then to what degree am I supposed to resist and like push through into another direction? I don't have an answer for which one's better. But that journey felt like just don't do anything. This isn't for you to do something to or with. This is for you to receive. There's a there's a flute in that song, uh, and may, maybe it's some kind of energy that's transmitting through that flute that is about purging, catharsis, release. Uh, so what he's saying is, if you listen to that album, track seven, you're going to be vomit. driving. <laughs> <laughs> I was using it okay. the other night in a ketamine session, and there's I think it's track ten that has water and I'm like, oh mm. man, this track's going to come on and everybody's going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is like the P track. Oh boy. <laughs> well, all the songs were from live recordings of the ceremonies we did here during the pandemic live on YouTube. And so they were all uh, full ceremonies for myself, uh, but we had various recordings from them and I thought it'd be fun to try to edit that into a, a connected journey and that's what this album will be when it's done excited for that yeah shout out to cash app studios for being the progenitors of it and supporters and i think we'll have more to say about that in the future but thank you thank you thank you to them yeah and, Garrett. and in in that um with that you were invited to the entheo wheel to perform a ceremony because you're the guy that plays music for mushrooms <laughs> yeah yeah i, I I thought we thought the time slot we could have we learned some lessons on programming. It wasn't up to us, but they put me at the very, 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 very end. Of, Even after the closing of the ceremony, right? It was, it was a five day event or four, four, uh, and it was the very, very last thing. And I always I kind of forgot, you know, it's been a while. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is always better in the dark. It yes. really is, and I think it's a special energy that just when if you're trying to go inward, you were Monday at eleven a.m. And it was over too. And like half the people had to leave already or were leaving mm-hmm. to catch a plane. And I could tell they were kind of tired. And we had a lot of talking and ceremony all weekend. And I, as soon as I started, I just felt this wave of like, no one needs me to walk them through more ceremony in this moment. Yet that's kind of the whole point of it for me. And I could just feel the fatigue. And I was like, I, I almost want to be, I'm sorry. He's like, let's just, let's just relax and I'll play, which is kind of the energy I ended up going with. You had a number of folks that were really into it and fully with you, but yeah. it's true that the energy by that point was quite dissipated. Sure. It's the end of a long weekend. Though yeah. and I, I, I have had the great good blessing boon of my life to be with you with for many, most of your ceremony concerts. And it's been a while since yeah. I've got to be a part of that with you and there was a moment personally in it during please pass the bliss with Ram Das, where he was speaking and the music was there and it just felt I just cracked wide open let's just say that yeah. like I had this meta big experience of the gift that you are for Ram Das's voice because it felt like he was then part of the Anthea wheel, like he was a presence in that weekend and his yeah. voice wanted to be there and it was. And I just 
I just was so beautiful. It was so profound. Well, I'm the one receiving the gift, no doubt. I mean, I can't tell you what an honor it is to be able to transmit and carry his voice, be a carrier of his yeah. wisdom, and then press the buttons where I start hearing it come through these big, loud subsystems. And I'm like, wow, what a trip. <sighs> what a trip. It's <laughs> like remembering like sitting there and like asking a question and basically, and him knowing and me telling him, he's like, I'm going to take this and then take it out to the world and then doing it mm -hmm. in a live space is a trip. It brings him alive. When he says, yeah, yeah. I love you all, I feel him saying, and I love you all. Mm -hmm. Like the love that is there is so complete in presence. It just cracks my heart wide open. It feels alive. And so, it feels alive now. And that's it, very much so. Very much so. And I think that's why, because it's actively like being moved and, and affected into the world. And so it feels like this living, breathing thing that, that, yeah. So that was nice to be able to bring that into the space and into that larger ceremony of the weekend. And I guess they're making some kind of uh, digital offering, whether it's an e-course, it remains to be seen, but probably sections of this, including that performance, will be able to be shared. Mm -hmm. So keep you updated whenever mm -hmm. that happens. Yeah, and I was there teaching somatic body practices for prep and for being on the journey and for integrating posts. And I felt like there was a lot more that I could have shared live. Yeah, in the for sure. In the time that we were there. But I look forward to sharing a lot more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of work on that in the real world and a lot of interest in it now to go deeper and study it more. And there seems to be a lot there for people to be able to uh, really get to the, the core of a lot of the things going on for people and their healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the body's the gateway. I feel like a test subject. So I, I certainly have my own big, big healing. You're so lucky. And I'm so lucky. You're so lucky. Indeed I am. Indeed I am. Um, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to touch on on that weekend or anything else? Um, no, I feel good for now. I just want to congratulate the whole Esalen production team for pulling off all the media and the live streaming. I know the work that... I think it was Peter and Nirvan and Anastasia and Christine. Wow, and you're Steve. amazing with names. Uh, they were all doing was just they incredible. pulled off the impossible pretty they much. Did. <laughs> so big props to you guys. Esalen is known at least in the past for like you basically can't use your email when you're there because the yeah, internet's so I bad. I couldn't get text messages or emails yeah. the whole time, which is kind of was kind of the point in the past, and somehow. Uh, they were like virtually streaming in people like James Fadiman or Paul Stamets. And it 90% of the time, 95% of the time worked. And the fact that it worked at all. Yes. And then that was being live streamed <laughs> to a virtual audience. I was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now at Esalen. Yeah. So, so hats off. Totally. Yeah. Congratulations. And congrats again to Dream and to Alan who supports her as well and everybody for having a dream yeah bringing it into fruition bringing it into life yeah it was a big lift so congrats to them for pulling it off and uh for us we'll probably be uh hosting some kind of retreats there uh, this year mm -hmm. uh, we're just trying to figure out the when and the, all that stuff so stay tuned to that 
and and Dream will maybe be doing, I'm sure, another Entheo wheel there. And so stay tuned for those kind of things. If you're interested, it will probably be virtual, I would guess, and in person again. So opportunities to get engaged firsthand. And uh, yeah, that's the state of the state for now. Yeah. Thanks again, hon. All right. Well, keep walking, folks. We will catch you next time.